This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is June 8th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Tracy Presta. Um, when I was at the station in my WRHU years, I was Tracy Scott. I was part of the station from 1997 till the summer of 2000. Okay. Uh, what positions or titles did you hold at the station? I was music director from 1990, um, I think it was the beginning of 98 or 97. Um, I did that for about six months, and then I was program director from uh, 99 to 2000. All right. So let's talk about those positions and why you decided to go for them. Let's start with the music director. What was it that made you want to apply for this job or, or go for it? Um, sure. So I had been, like I said, I started in 97. Um, I got my clearance and I started working on Aggressive Edge with a one night a week slot. And I started meeting more and more people at the station. I started hanging around more. I was meeting more people, um, kind of learning the way the radio station ran in between taking classes about radio. So I was starting to learn all the ins and outs behind the scenes and on the air. And I just always loved music and it seemed like a good fit, um, you know, there was always talk around the station asking people, like, are you interested in applying for an administrative board position? Um, is that something you would want to do? And really, the the only type of positions I was drawn to were really the music ones. Um, I spent a lot of time in the music office with uh, the Mighty M, Marcello Carnavali, who was uh, the uh, producer of Aggressive Edge. And I watched him, and he kind of was showing me the ropes when it came to like charting and, you know, like going through CDs and, you know, getting them ready for the other air staff and stuff like that. So it kind of seemed like a good fit when the time came to apply for a position like that, because I was already kind of learning how it worked. Mm -hmm. So I went for it and, and I got it luckily. So mm -hmm worked out good. Um, program director is a bit of a totally different situation. Um, I never really like officially, I didn't think I ever really officially applied to it. And I kind of touched on this with you in my first, right. um, interview there, there was an opening like halfway through the year and, and the current program director, was unavailable. So what we were kind of doing at the station was Bruce was kind of working with the station manager at the time and other people on the staff, uh, mostly administrative board staff to, to kind of help out with the position until they um, were ready to hire somebody else. So I, I'd sit in with like other people as well, not always just me. And like, He'd say that, you know, he'd show us stuff that a program director would do and explain certain things. And I guess like maybe he was doing this kind of with everybody. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't want to say it was just me because I don't even really know. But like I really took to it and I thought we were just doing this cool thing like, hey, I'm helping out around the station because we have this opening and I'm on the administrative board. So why not? 
So I guess what happened was as we were doing that, I was learning and helping out so much that at the end of the year, um, every year at the end, um, at the holiday season, there's a holiday party. And that's when they announced the new um, executive board positions for the following year. So they're going through all the um, new positions and they get to program director and they announce my name. And I'm like, um, I don't really remember like applying for this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then like in the coming weeks, I realized that everything I had been doing was leading up to this point. Like I thought I was just learning all this stuff, but I was kind of showing like, Hey, I could be considered for this position. And I did, a, a, I want to say a good enough job, but I guess it was better than good enough to be hired for the position. So that's so, kind of how, how that took off. It's kind of like <laughs> it a, like a work, working me. audition. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, somebody knew what they were doing. So <laughs> one other so- thing I want to clarify is that when uh, I was there just a little bit before you were and mm-hmm. our positions were uh, with the academic year. So in the spring, we would have the awards dinner and the new crop of management would come in in May or June, I guess it was. And then they would continue through until the following spring. So it was more like a June to May sort of thing. But I know Bruce at some point changed that to be the calendar year from January to December. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, it it definitely was because I I totally, I remember it so clearly at the Christmas party. And then like a bunch of us went out after and I was just like, does anybody know what the hell just happened? Like (laughs) I was not expecting that. So and then in January for 1st or whenever the semester started is when the new roles began. So yeah, it was definitely um December announcement, January start. Okay. And you started doing the music director job during the summer? Cuz you said it was about 6 months. Um my memory is not 100% so okay. I could be wrong. I I don't know. Maybe I did it 6 months, maybe I did it a year, but I I do remember doing it over the summertime because the way administrative board positions worked, it's not really like a a paid position. You would get a stipend at the end of the year. So I remember I was still working my regular summer job while I was doing music director stuff. So that's why the summer sticking in my head for some reason, but it. it, it was definitely around that time and through one at least one semester maybe two but i I couldn't tell you the exact dates okay so who was your station manager once you got the position who else were you running the eb with um so once i was on the eb um station manager was sean novat uh personnel director was laura schmaling who's now laura foster um Production, I think, was Dan Radkowicz, but then I think later on it might have been Casey Miles. Like I said, like I remember all these people, but like my memory of exactly who was doing what at what time is all over the place. So I apologize if I'm <laughs> not getting the the order right. Um, general manager was Bruce. Um, operations manager was Michelle Lisi, and our community volunteer liaison was Basha. Okay. All right. So 
once you start working as as program director, you you've got the experience of being music director. Like you said, you've got you're organizing the incoming music, and you're working with the producers and cataloging things, things like that. What's uh what's a typical day or like what what did you have to do as program director on a regular basis? So I I always remember I had like set office hours, which would be in between by my classes. But honestly, like every free moment I had was at the station. Like I didn't live on campus. I commuted and basically I was at the station close to almost 24 hours a day. Like I basically go home, catch like a a little bit of sleep, take a shower and come Mm -hmm. back. Like Mm -hmm. I might as well have just like moved in there. Mm -hmm. I was always there. So I was doing a lot of the similar stuff to what I had done as music director, but now it was a bit more um, dealing with the staff. A lot of being program director is the sound of the station. So working on new show requests, um, what order the schedule was going to be, were we going to, you know, change things around? Were we going to make shows longer or shorter or add new things or take something away? or make certain changes. Um, there'd be meetings about that. There'd be constant voicemails from, you know, people outside of the station who wanted to comment or questions or contests, things like that. Um, another super fun thing we always had was the EB beeper, mm-hmm. <laughs> which back in the day, everybody, we had beepers, not cell phones. So <laughs> it, Uh, each week it would be a different person's turn to carry this beeper around in case of uh, any sort of emergencies. Uh, So yeah, once that thing went off, you knew like, oh my God, what kind of fresh hell am I about to walk (laughs) into? So that that was always a fun one. But yeah, a lot of it was just dealing with sound of the station. So, you know, the music, the people, the scheduling, things like that, and working with the rest of the executive board staff to to help make all these things possible. Hmm. You mentioned the schedule, and and we're not testing you, but I'm wondering how much of the regular schedule, like when were shows on the morning show and the classics? Do you remember uh, much about the weekday schedule? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure the... The very first thing was the morning show, which I was an aggressive edge DJ, which is on the very mm-hmm. end of the night. So mornings were not my thing. Same, <laughs> so I, I was more end of the day person. So I couldn't tell you exactly how long the show was, but it was five days a week and it was a different group of people doing it um, each day. Then we had the classics from Hofstra for, I think it was like a three or four hour block because that was actually mandated by the school that mm-hmm. um, we were required to, to do that for that time period. Um, then I'm pretty sure after that was Jazz Cafe. Um, I believe after that was Newsline. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was usually some sort of... Um, Depending on the day, there was a different specialty programming, like Soul on a Roll was one day. Um, There was a Grateful Dead show another day. Like there was was a half hour block, I believe, after Newsline where there was some sort of specialty music program. Um, After that would be Rock and Roll Oasis, then Aggressive Edge, 
then airwave, and then we would sign off the station. So back then we were not 24 hours after airwave, which I think went till like three in the morning, we'd sign the station off. Um, then the weekend was a whole other group of programming, right. uh, mostly com community volunteer programming. Um, Saturday nights was P5, which was um, the urban show with DJs. Um, I'm forgetting Anarchy. I think that was Sunday nights. Sunday nights, um, yeah. Which was like a different person every week. And you were basically, it was just your place to play or do whatever you wanted within reason. Um, and that was also part of my job as music director was finding somebody to do that show once a week. So a lot of times you would have people volunteer, but not always. Right. Um, so it was a lot of me calling, going down the phone list and calling people and begging them <laughs> to, to do the show and then doing it myself if I couldn't find anybody else. So th there was a lot of um, weeks of anarchy where it, it was me. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, there's there's sometimes, especially during summer times when someone's got to do it and you're the program oh, yeah. director, summer. music director. Yeah. Summer was a big one because a lot of people went home, but I was there. So, <laughs> so you, yeah. it sounds like you had a great time and you did a lot of things. Is there something that stands out as something you feel really proud about, either as music director or as program director, where you say, "Yeah, that's a thing that I did, and I'm really, I'm really happy and proud about that." Um. So, so my thing when I was program director was always, you know, in keeping with um, sound of the station. I felt that it was very professional sounding from what I had heard and learned um, to start and end all station breaks with the call letters, mm -hmm. um, which we had kind of been um, ending all the station breaks with the call letters. So that wasn't anything new, but I, I really wanted this start and end. Like that was my thing. I don't know what looking back, I don't know why, but that was like, mm what I was really trying to instill in everybody. And you know what, for a year when I was there, it kind of worked and people were doing it. And then I have to say like, after I graduated, like I still listen to this station all the time. So like, I just remember like, I would be listening and less and less I would hear people straying from that. And I just remember like being in the car driving one day, listening and hearing Somebody came on from a station break and was telling like this huge, they just went into this huge story and I'm like slamming the steering wheel, like, you didn't say the call letters. And it was just becoming like too insane. So, I mean, looking back on that now, it probably, it probably shouldn't have been such a big deal, but back then I was pretty happy that, uh, you know, something I had created and asked for was actually happening. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's important for, like you say, establishing a coherent sound, no matter what the format is. You want people to know this is the station because you're proud of the work and you're proud of the people and you want to make sure that's out there. I a thousand percent agree with that. I, <laughs> I, I totally hear you on that. So, exactly. so well done. Um, what is a story that you always tell when you are talking about working at the station? I mean, it's not so much like specifically about the station, but just like all the amazing times I had at the station. Like we spent so much time together being on the, 
executive board between the administrative board people and the executive board people and just anybody who was hanging out, you know, during the day there or in the evening. Um, we just did so many things outside of the station as well, like just dinners, like talk business for a while and then go back to what you're doing and say like, oh, we had a business dinner, you know, <laughs> like we still do that to this day at my job, but <laughs> um you know, having meetings with Bruce, lunches with Bruce, lunches with the rest of the executive board, um, getting ready for different fundraisers. And so just doing things together as a community, it's a group of people that we're all there for the same reason. We love the same things. We love the radio station and the community. And, you know, we're making friends at the same time that we're working. It was just such a great experience. Uh, the, those are my my favorite parts of the station. Yeah, and I think that's a really universal thread through all these conversations is that once you find that home, once you find that that niche, that you spend all your available time there and you make these friendships that, that last for a really long time. So thank you for sharing that. On the other hand, are there stories that you have kept to yourself or just never bothered to share or tell about your time at the station? So my, my one thing that was, I always tried to keep it a secret, but you know what? I probably think it's a secret and it's probably like everybody knew I was doing it. But so back when I was in college, I was a, a pretty big smoker. So now it's probably looked at as weird because nobody smokes anymore. Everybody beeps, mm-hmm. but okay. Back then we had these things called cigarettes and I used to smoke them. Um, so during my aggressive ed shift, <laughs> when I needed a break about halfway through the show, I would throw on, I had my go-to smoke break song, which was side two of Iron Maiden's Live After Death. I would throw on Hallowed Be Thy Name. Um, I actually looked it up to see how long it was. Because back then I remember, now I don't. Seven minutes and 21 seconds long. It had to be the live version because that's the longest one. Right. Throw that on run outside, prop the door open with a rock, never really thinking about what would I do if a gust of wind blew and the door closed and I'm out here and I can't get back in. Um, luckily, thank God that never happened. So that, that was my smoke break song. I'm sure people are probably going to hear this and go like, well, tons of other people were doing that or maybe nobody did it. I don't know, but I just never really, I tried to keep that quiet. That was just my my thing. Sure, <laughs> understood. Well, there's 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 always a, a need sometimes for a break for whatever just reason. Yeah, and... bathroom break, sure, you know, but yeah. like that you could usually do pretty quick. Like, right, the bathroom was pretty close to where the studios were back then. I'm not so sure about now, but it was like the the smoke break was a little bit more difficult. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that, that feeling of tension that, that, oh God, I hope something, nothing goes wrong in the next three and a half minutes, but God, um, thank God that never happened. Cause that, that would have been a, another interesting story for another interview. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a song or an event or something that happened that kind of defined your time at the station? Oh my God. I mean, there's like so many, but, but when I was thinking uh, about this question, um, I always come back to. The, the very first song that I played um, on my very first Aggressive Edge shift, which was Sepultura, Roots, Bloody Roots. And on my very last 
show. Um, I'd already graduated. I stayed on an extra two or three months. I think it was two months. Um, my very last show, my very last song, I made sure that was the last song I played on my aggressive edge shift. Cause I just always remembered that that was the first one that I played when I started. And like, even when I hear it now, I'm like transported back to like, it's 1997, 1998 at Hofstra and it's late at night. And here I am like spinning metal records on, on my college station, which is all I wanted to do. So hmm. <laughs> it, it always reminds me of that. Oh, that's fantastic. It's amazing the power of art, whether mm-hmm. it's music or something else, to really transport you to that time and place. So yep. that's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit and talking about working with Sean and, and the rest of the EB and, and working mm-hmm. with, with Bruce. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, it might be hard to articulate because you weren't necessarily setting out to be program director, but was there something that you guys wanted to do or accomplish for the station as you were getting started? And then, you know, a year later, do you feel like you got there, like you did the thing? I don't feel like at the time, I don't feel like, like the four or five of us or whatever ever sat down and were like, okay, like this is our goal. Like this is what we want to do. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was more like just us working cohesively together and then looking back on it, you know, a year or two later going like, wow, like we really did some great things. Like when we were working together with, with the station, like, wow, like the, the production quality we had was so good. Then our bumpers sounded great. Like it it was stuff you didn't realize until like much later, like, wow, we, we really did accomplish that. But at the time there was no like, outline or set goals at least not that i remember i mean like i said going back to what i said before with the call letters and things like that like that was something that i wanted to do um for all of us together i think it was just we just wanted to have people interested in the station and enjoying the station and and keeping it running as best as we could and and i do think we accomplished that Mm. But it's something we just didn't realize until afterwards. Like, yeah, we did that. Mm. Um, you mentioned working earlier with Bruce and with Michelle. And, and how do you think you guys worked as a team in, in doing those things on a regular basis? I, I, I remember there always being a lot of meetings with Bruce and a lot of, you know, we're going to talk about these goals and things like that. How did, you, how did you take to being a manager under Bruce's uh, direction? I mean, we always got along great like working with those people like you I, I couldn't have learned what I learned from them at any other place like I did inter- internships and you know took classes and, and and did all these things but it was never quite the same as what I learned from these people and, and I almost forgot to mention Ed Ingalls as well who mm-hmm. was there when I was there um who brought just a wealth of information um, with his experience that like I never would have gotten from anywhere else. So it was wonderful to be able to sit in a room with these people and have them, you know, kind of teach us and guide us, but also let us figure a lot of this stuff out for ourselves based Mm -hmm. on what, you know, we were learning from them. So you really can't get that kind of experience anywhere else. Mm. 
Um, it is a wonderful opportunity and, and having these mentors and this experience and, and you're sharing all these stories about the great times that you had. But it is a hard job to have as a college junior or a college senior to be running a professional level radio station. It can be stressful. Was mm-hmm. there ever a point where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore? Like, I got to get was there any point where you thought, I don't I don't know about this? So I I, I never felt like leaving the station that that was never a thought in my mind and I absolutely never wanted to to quit um my executive board position because that was just my most favorite thing in the world um the only time I did take a step back and I have never told anyone this but um it was my last semester at Hofstra which was um the spring of 2000, I uh, was going to graduate in May. Um, you know, I was no longer program director because the calendar year had ended and, right. you know, the next person was was taking over. So I kind of like went through, it, it was difficult for me to make that transition into being program director to now just going back to just a regular person at the station who's going to be leaving in a few months. And I felt my relationship with the executive board, mainly Bruce was beginning to change. Um, Him and I spent a lot of, a lot of meetings together, as you just Mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, you're constantly meeting about stuff, but like we would go to the diner and have lunch or, and discuss business or just be around the station. Like, you know, him, even before I was program director, showing me and talking to me about all these things so I could eventually go on to do, to be a program director or whatever it is I wanted to do. And I saw that relationship beginning to change and we were spending a lot less time together and, you know, it just felt like, well, now I'm just this regular person again, um, you know, on the staff, just doing a show once or twice a week. And in a few months, I'm going to be gone. So I just, I, I felt very just like tossed off to the side and, you know, that it, it kind of hurt me a bit. Um, but I took, so I, so I kind of did take a step back, just maybe not hanging around as much, just doing my thing and going home and, you know, still you know, always being loyal to the station, but just it, it felt different. So before I was going to graduate, I I wrote a, a huge letter to Bruce just explaining like what a big influence he was and how I considered him a mentor and, you know, just all how I just gained all this valuable information. And I kind of tried to stay away from the fact that I was saying like, but now I feel like, you know, you don't care anymore. So mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like a crazy person, but you know, it, it hurt. Things are changing. Like I'm moving on to new things and now things are different. So I, I honestly don't remember. Like, I think I gave him the letter. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> maybe I didn't, maybe I did. And maybe we didn't really like talk about it. Like maybe it wasn't such a huge deal as I thought it was, but you know, I, I've had a lot of time to think about this now that unfortunately 
once Bruce passed, which was very difficult for me as well, it kind of dawned on me after, you know, hearing and seeing all these people pay tribute and hear what they were saying. Like he wasn't doing it on purpose to be like, okay, your time is done. Goodbye. He was doing that. So the next program director could learn from him and he could be a mentor to that person and the person after that and the person after that. And unfortunately it took him passing away for me to realize that he did this for many people. And I'm sure many people felt the same way I did. Um, it, it was actually a, a good thing that he was there for so many people. So I got it. Yeah. I, I, I understood after why that happened. Yeah. What a hard thing. I mean, you invest so much of your time and your energy in making this thing happen. And then, and then it's sort of like, it's ripping a bandaid off or something. It's like, well, well, you're not doing this anymore. And to have that last six months of your undergrad time. And I mean, I think that's a reason why so many people stay with the station for so long, even after graduation, we get addicted to it and it's hard to mm -hmm. walk away. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to uh, replace that in your heart. So uh, thank you for sharing that. That's mm -hmm. uh uh, I, I, I can definitely feel that. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Um, so along those lines, what do you miss most about working at WRHU? Uh, I mean, everything. Like, it it wouldn't be the same to me if, if I went back and, and did it now. Like, it's not the same. It was just something, like, that time, those people, like, I would do it all over in a heartbeat exactly the, the same way that it went. Like I wouldn't change a single thing. I, I miss the people. I miss working for the station. I, I just miss all of it. And, and there's nothing I would change about my time there. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm taking a guess here, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking like probably your favorite part of your time there is, is working with the music. I mean, not just with the people, but with the music, with the new stuff that's coming in yes. and thinking about the shows. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I gotta say, like I was 20 years old, 21 years old, going on to be 22 when I had this executive board position and eventually graduated. And like the metal show, at least I will say, was such a, a big part of this station, but also like the community. Like I'm 20, 21 years old and people are calling me from all over New York, like requesting music. Like we're going to shows and like the, the promoters know who we are and they're letting us like interview bands. And it, it was just crazy. Like, to think that I was able to do that just as a college student from just from working at WRHU is like, uh, again, I said it before, but you can't get that kind of like knowledge anywhere else. I mean, I, I, I'm 21, I'm 20 years old and I'm interviewing typo negative. All right. Like, what is that? Like, no, I, I, I don't know many other 20 year olds that were doing that. So yeah. It's just the the wealth of knowledge and being able to be involved in the music like that at that age and point in time was amazing. Hmm. Do you have a favorite show that you got to go to while you were at WRHU? 
I mean, there's so many. I, let me think. That's a good question. That's um, a hard one, right? It's there. It is, but I mean, like one that always sticks out is we went to like Poughkeepsie, New York. Me and the Mighty M to see Stuck Mojo, and this was like in. 1997 98 and that was when like they the band was like really big into wrestling and they had like the championship belts with them and like we got to go backstage and interview them and record all this stuff for the station and they're like hey try on the belt let's do a bunch of pictures together like with the wrestling belts and i'm like this is crazy and then like we're backstage and members from all these other bands are coming back there. Like, so we're getting all this great content for the station at the same time that like, we're about to see this great show and all this other cool stuff's going on. It was just a really fun night. It was, it was really fun. So that that's one of them. Definitely. Nice. Nice. Rock and roll, man. Sounds Mm -hmm. like a lot of fun. Um, If you could go back in time Mm -hmm. and, you know, in a minute or two or something like that and give advice to yourself at 18 years old. What would you say to that freshman, Tracy, this is what you should do in your future at WRHU? Um, I would definitely not change anything about my time at WRHU, but I would change my major. Okay, <laughs> so let, me, let me explain more where I'm going with that. So I was a radio major. Um, I thought I was, I always thought I'm going to work in radio. Um, Before I even started at the station, I was like, I'm going to be like the the female Howard Stern. Cause like, I always loved Howard Stern, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably at a young age that I shouldn't have even known who he was, (laughs) but like, that's my, my dad is to blame for that. Um, But yes, we're both still huge Stern fans to this day. So um Yeah, so I went in knowing that um, I would still have majored in radio, but what I also would have done was studied law and probably went into um, entertainment law. Um, I say that because I ended up not staying in the radio industry because at the time when I graduated and was looking around, like, all the jobs that were available at that time were not really paying any decent money unless I wanted to like go out of state and and start somewhere there, which I really didn't want to do. So I made the next logical step, which was um, to go into the music industry, working um, at a record label, which was another thing WRHU helped me with because I had all these connections already from my days as music director and program director that I was able to, you know, speak to all these different labels and I did end up getting a job at a label. So, and I've been in that industry ever since then. Um, but from what I have seen, like, I, I think it would have been really great to study um, entertainment law and go on to, to be a, a music attorney, which is not to say like, I still couldn't because you can still do anything at any age, but you know, right now, not really so much. If I could do it over though, I I would do it that way. Okay. Would 18 year old Tracy have listened to that advice? Um, no, I don't know. That's a good (laughs) question. Maybe. Um, 
you, you know what? Probably not. Because yeah. <laughs> I was so set on on what I wanted to do then. Um, and, and I think anybody at 18 kind of was the same way. It, it's yeah. always the afterwards when you're like, oh, you know, I probably could have done that, but too late now. So. Right. <laughs> Understood. So a big thing that people have always asked me, like, well, what is so-and-so doing now? Or I wish I knew what they did after. So could you give us a brief idea of, you know, what was your career? You've mentioned a little bit, but what did you do after Hofstra Radio and where are you now? So after that, like I said, I went to work for a record label as an administrative assistant. It was just a way of getting my foot in the door. Mm -hmm. So um, I took that uh, after... About a year and a half, I became um, executive assistant to three other executives working at the label, um, which was great. But I wanted to do more, you know, on like the hands-on side and the music side. So I made the switch after three years um, to music distribution, and I started um, as a retail marketing assistant. So... um, I was doing all sorts of marketing um, with record stores and for CDs and vinyl. Um, then after a few years of that, I switched over to a label manager for a music distribution company where I worked with all different record labels that we were distributing and helping them um, set up their releases and do their marketing, both on the physical and digital sides as we um, later moved on to, uh, strictly more digital than physical, although there is some, uh, physical going around today, a lot more, especially in terms of vinyl and like direct to consumer marketing. Um, and now I am actually a director of streaming and sales for Monarch music group, um, where I'm, uh, pitching and selling releases, um, for our wholly owned uh, record labels, Monarch Music, Monarch Heavy, Monarch Nashville. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at now. So so it sounds like that experience paid off and the thing that you love to do, you kept getting to do it. Yes, in all different facets of it. So I did the radio side, I did the music distribution side, and I did the music record label side. So... I've done it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on that. And thank you so much for sharing your stories and your time here today. I have had a real blast listening to your stories, and, and I'm just so honored that you would take the time. And uh, thank you for being part of the Hofstra Radio community. This was awesome. Thank you for being interested in hearing the, the second part of my, my journey. Appreciate it.